right, so I'm getting the levels together. This is my third time. Count it one, two, three, my third time recording this episode, but I'm going to get through it. Let's begin. special edition episode. I'm throwing out um, the usual format of the podcast just for today. Um, Maybe at the end of the podcast to add just a touch of comic relief, I'll throw uh, all of the um, segment songs in and let them loop because they're silly songs. But um well, now, today is Friday. It's officially 6.38 in a.m. Central Standard Time on Friday. But I started this podcast yesterday, actually. I started this podcast yesterday mm, via 1 p.m. 1 I started this podcast yesterday via mm, 1 p.m. And I started to talk about um, the XXL freshman list and the Kid Cudi Kanye album, Kids the Ghost, and the fact that Kanye executive produced Nas's new project, um, Nazir, I was going to make those my topic of discussion. And, you know, just in general, who gets kudos, who gets killed. Waffle House was on the list because they keep fuckery going. But I digress. Um, what ended up happening was I woke up yesterday and I was in a fairly good, charming, cool little mood and the trolling on my social media account has, uh, significantly subsided for a number of reasons. Uh, I suspect I have my suspicions about it or my assumptions about it, um, but, you know, it's it's subsided nonetheless, right? So um, I've also cut out a lot of toxic people. And with each person I remove, you know, the, uh, the trolling happens less and less. With each person I expose, the trolling happens less and less. So it's, it's almost as if I'm able to kind of pinpoint different people that's behind it, you know. Um, I say that to say... Hadn't had, like, a serious, like, troll in a minute. And the troll just decided to try to tell me my life. And I'm like, first and foremost, who are you, random person on the Internet? And what kind of person really follows people and just tries to tell them who they are? You know what I mean? Um, I'm getting off the subject, so I'm going to pause for silence and pick it up from here.
So yesterday I was feeling awesome and I happened to notice a troll uh, under one of my pictures trying to tell me um, who I am and my relationship to 50 and what it is and all of this. And I'm like, well, first of all, my relationship's a little complicated, but I know all the details and I know why that is. Um, you, random person on the internet, on the outside looking in, definitely don't know. And then to try to diminish what I've been through um, as if it's some type of photo opportunity, you know, you all the way mistaken and God going to strike you down for lying. I almost said something else, but it's like God going to strike you down for lying. I'm put on God. I'm going to let God handle it. Now, um, and I ended up sharing um, in my post uh, about a miscarriage. Now, before we get into that, I'm going to go all the way back and just kind of provide some context of how I got to where I got to today, you know, just today. And speak very openly, honestly, and candidly about everything to the best of my ability. Um, and also, you know, take ownership for things that has taken place um, to the best of my ability so that, you know, once and for all, I put it to rest and get this baggage and this weight off my shoulders in addition to, you know, providing some light and clarity. And I'd rather people I care about and I'd rather my fans and people who truly are with me on this journey and invested with me on this journey um, to know the real deal from my mouth in my own words. Now, what everybody else is saying, can't control that, don't even know, don't even care what that is. But um, I at least owe it to myself first and foremost to have a platform such as a podcast to take this and address it because truth be told, if it was any other situation and the shoe was on the other foot, um, people would be interviewing me. Well, actually they have, I've turned down things, but well, let me go back. <laughs> the fact that I've turned down things and people have offered to interview, you know, shows the magnitude of um, who I really am, what I'm going through and how worthy this is of an entire episode since I haven't addressed it in the past. So without further ado, let me just get right into it. Um, so it is currently June 15th, 2018. Excuse me. And I have not uh, physically seen... Um, 50 cents since 2016, November, 2016. Um, it was like the week after my mom passed or whatever. Uh, yeah. Cause her funeral was November 11th. So, um, that was, um, you know, the last time that we, uh, physically saw each other and spent time, et cetera, et cetera, had conversation, interaction, and all of that. And from there, um, I went on and was focused on my comedy. And he went on and was focused on all the 89,000 things he'd be doing in addition to F and Vodka at the time. And uh, we worked together 
on a television pilot that had got picked up that I got in a development deal for that I, you know, agreed to because the show was going to series. And so um, basically I was told by the producers to just, you know, hang tight, stand by. We absolutely want you, et cetera, et cetera. So um, during that like low period, I just kind of was staying in my lane. Um, You know, I still, you know, by that point, um, we met and we both discovered that we really liked each other. But, I mean, it was really new, really fresh, and we were, I know he was and I was too. We were just kind of trying to play it by ear and keep it it a little low. Um, And that was the status of it to uh, the best of, what I can describe it in in all truth and in all fairness, um, that is really really what went down. Now, me personally, um, I was extremely excited about it because of who he was to me and what he meant to me, and I'll go into that now. Um, let me put a pin in the story right there. Um, the background, what was happening to me in the background, pre-meeting him, um, I started comedy 2006, April 1st, and I uh, was working at a video store. Um, Get Rich or Die Trying, the movie came out in 2005, as well as, uh, like, hated to love it. Now, um, I had already liked 50 and already liked his music uh, because I was a huge Eminem fan and he was Eminem's protege and I thought he was cute and, you know, he had dope music. Like, Get Richard I Try on the album was, like, hella epic. And In the Club was the hottest song of the year and I turned 21 that year. So that was the first year that I could legally go in the clubs. I had been clubbing since I was 16, but that year, you know, when you're 21, you're excited that you can show your ID and go out. And that was the song to play everywhere. And that came out the year I turned 21. So that milestone was the first thing that made him, you know, special to me as far as my personal narrative is concerned. Uh, The second milestone that made him a part of my personal narrative uh, was when Hated or Love It was released. I was going through a transition period of feeling really disillusioned by college and, you know, all the advice that I was told by elders and everybody about going to school and career and everything like that. Uh, I was a straight-A student and was always considering medical school, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew I had a calling to entertain and perform since I was small. Um, I always was in plays and choirs and all of that, um, had been writing poetry in my little notebooks and spoken word, got published in some anthologies, you know, uh, won some talent competitions. Like, I always knew that I had the chops for entertainment and performance, and it's what I really wanted, but I didn't have um, the confidence, and I didn't I didn't really bite into it, Um at that time, because I was so busy trying to, you know, please both my parents who were teachers who wanted me to get a quote unquote real job, whatever that means. Um, and I had a real job and 
I'm no stranger to hard work. When it comes to things I really enjoy, I'll put all effort in. In fact, with this podcast, I was working on it as early as um, yesterday at 1 p.m. And I've revised it three different times because especially with the nature of what this podcast entails, I want to make sure that I'm getting out everything I want to say and saying it accurately. So I've erased it and left and come back to it or whatever, but I have not been to sleep yet because I want to get this done and get this out. And um, when I'm really committed to things and when I'm really passionate about it, I mean, there is just no such thing as time and creative uh, things always make me feel that way. Now, jobs, hell no. <laughs> Especially when I don't like what I'm doing 15 minutes in I'm like what the fuck is this But um, I was overworked At the time I was a manager I had employees I was working well over 44 50 hours a week For shitty pay And I just was unhappy And everybody was like Oh well you got a job And you get to wear suits You're important Because that's what's important about life and jobs I didn't even have a social life at the time. I was always at work, so I wasn't even dating anybody seriously. Um, Get Rich or Die Trying came out um, in on DVD November 2005, and I remember uh, we because I was a manager, I always got the movies early. I remember taking that screener home and sitting there in my little studio apartment with no fucking furniture watching that movie and just was completely captivated. Um had heard the story, had been told the story um, of his background, his beginnings, all of that. But to visually see it put me in an entire different headspace about him. Because um, I'm a Chicagoan. I didn't live in New York. You know what I mean? So uh, the movement um, of what he did with mixtapes and all of that didn't particularly hit me and strike me um, the way it did like East Coast people. Um, but to see the movie... And it really had that picture painted. Um, it really, really put him in a different light for me. And I planted a seed back then, right then and there. I was like, I would love to pick his brain. And I would love to get advice from him. And um, if I ever get a chance, I want to work with him, like, specifically. Um, I ain't even going to get into that sex scene that was in the movie. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts as well. <laughs> I was very inspired by that as well, <laughs> on a personal note. <laughs> kind of like how back in the day when Kanye seen Kim's sex tape, <laughs> and he was like, you know, I, I, I'm i not ashamed to admit her. Yes, I, I'm watching. I see what she's capable of. I want that. Uh, <laughs> I saw the movie. I was like, yeah. And that part, yeah, that looks a little good. I want that as well. So um, planted those seeds, thought nothing of it. I mean, what the fuck? Didn't really uh, plan on anything or um, have any direct or immediate plan of how that was going to happen or none of that. It just was what it was. Um, And I think looking back in hindsight, that's what's so cool about it. When you have those thoughts and you don't put so much resistance on them, you allow them to manifest in an organic way. Um, Fast forward, my very first paid gig in New York just so happened to be the summer of 2007 um, when he debuted I Get Money. I was actually in New York in a friend's car as it debuted on Hot 97 
in the summertime and we went crazy and I went crazy because uh, the line south side's up in this bitch. I'm from the south side of Chicago. I'm in New York. You know, they always say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And I finally found this career that I really loved, that I was really passionate about. And I went hard. I used to put in real road driving, 12 hours, 14 hours, 15 hours, 10 hours. I didn't give a fuck. I will get in my car and drive. I drove all over this beautiful little United States going to comedy gigs and doing road work, et cetera. And so um, that song specifically became like a a soundtrack for that moment. Um, So as my personal narrative kept going specifically in comedy, um, like, you know, he had specific songs that created that, that soundtrack for me. Um, even to this day, Hate It or Love It is, is such an important uh, song to me because it was such a turning point. I'll never forget the day I was in the store doing inventory and I heard it come on the radio and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's 50? Wait a minute. <laughs> and it was so personal and the storytelling and the beat and the sample. I was just so wrapped up in it. And I remember thinking, man, people go through real shit and here I am. You know, I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate this, but it could be way worse. And fuck that. Let me get my grind on. Um, it was just the soundtrack of a turning point. And I started comedy with like within six months after that. Um, and that is a part of my real personal narrative. I've shared this before, by the way. So um, if people have been following me for a while, they know that. But for, you know, the new people and also for the people just trying to gain clarity and put it all into context and, you know, deduce for themselves what it is. Um, yeah, like how I threw that college word out there, deduce. Um, that's like part of it. I moved to L.A. October 1st, 2008. And at the time when I moved, there was a whole lot of awesome shifts happening. Obama got inaugurated in the office. He won. Um, and... MTV gave 50 a, a reality show called The Money and the Power. It was just like, you know, The Apprentice or I Want to Work for Diddy, but it was his show. And I actually really enjoyed the show. I watched the show, watched the little teams compete, um, watched how he chewed out old boy who, you know, was like, I want to work for you. I want to work for you. He's like, name one of my songs. He was like, how you want to work for me? You don't even know what I make. <laughs> and it was just so real. <laughs> And I just, like, that was my little show. I would come home and and, and unwind and watch that when I first moved to L.A. And um, that that show gave me a, a hustle that, uh, well, I already had the hustle, honestly, but it motivated me to stay on my hustle and, you know, want to um, really grab L.A. by the horns and, and, and make something happen while I was there. Uh, which did. I got on t- uh, TV within two years. Um, the background of all of that was what laid the foundation of why I was so excited to work with him. I really genuinely sold those seeds. So in June of 2016, um, when I finally got to meet him face to face, it was a, a lovely little full circle moment. And I didn't hesitate to tell him at all. Um, and he appreciated it. Like um, the the conversation we had was so real and so genuine, and he appreciated it. And um, he had like this 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 vibe and this look 
uh, as though the whole conversation was refreshing to have somebody genuinely be like, yo, you, you influenced me. And when I heard this song, it did this for me. And that song, it did this for me. And I'm honored to be a part of this project. And thank you for selecting me. And man, I got so many great ideas. Uh, if we do this, we could do this. I mean, I like literally like had tour ideas and, and episode ideas. I would, um, email the the writers like uh different things that you know we could look into to make it fun and, and pop it like my creativity was popping all over the place and he was impressed that I had the initiative um and then I was like man I should have a management like what the fuck am I doing like like he's great like I don't have a manager I need one like who better like this would be this would be awesome and I asked him and he said yeah so that really had me feeling like oh shit this is going down. Um, what ended up happening was he was so engaged and so involved in so many projects that he he just was busy. Um, and the first mistake that I made in that situation was I should have been more patient. Um, I know who he is, and I I, I have um, full confidence in his work ethic and, and who he is. But the very, very first mistake I made in that situation, which brought me to where I am today, once he said, yeah, I should have just stayed on that and stayed persistent um, and not took it so personal um, when he couldn't get back to me and stuff like that. Uh, what ended up happening was I got the great idea, the big idea to take initiative and seek out management elsewhere um, since it was, you know, taking him too long or too long and what I felt was too long, um, which was the first mistake I made and was really stupid in hindsight because it really came back to bite me in the ass as far as unwanted, unneeded, necessary drama and problems. Um, the manager I ended up selecting, this cat named Dwight Elmore, uh, it was between him and Jamie Foxx's manager, Tony. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I'm thinking of another uh, another manager. Um, shit, what's uh? God damn it, Marcus. What the fuck am I doing? I know Marcus. Um, I ended up, I ended up seeking out management elsewhere. Uh, which was stupid. Um, that was the first mistake that I made. And I ended up hitting up Marcus King, Jamie Foxx's old manager, because um, I had worked I had worked with that camp before, and some of my earlier successes in comedy was via the, the entire Foxhole camp. When I started comedy, I got selected for Laugh-A-Palooza within my first six months of being a stand-up comedian. Um, they had a nationwide talent search, and I'm so grateful and thankful that I participated in that because um, had I hesitated, I would have missed the boat entirely because the year I submitted and got it was the last year that they did it. They ended that whole festival uh, in 2007. Um but I did it 2006, and myself, some other Chicago comedians, and a bunch of other comics around the country uh, all journeyed to Atlanta, 
and we went to the festival. We sat in workshops. We got to meet Marcus. He gave us tips and pointers in the game, you know, and pretty much was always straight lay straightforward. Um, that's always how I experienced him. And, you know, seemed pretty cool, seemed to really know what he was talking about. He really knew his shit. And so, you know, that was that. Um, I didn't really get to interact with Jamie. Um, we saw him, like, briefly. He came to one of the events, waved at us, and was like, yeah, <laughs> y'all doing good. Y'all going to make it. <laughs> but that was the extent of that. Um, and then... Um, the benefit and the bonus of it was I met so many different comedians from across the country uh, who uh, also showcased and was a part of that festival. You exchange numbers and information, and that's how you get your future work. Because mind you, this is all pre-Twitter, pre-IG. Um, Facebook wasn't all the way developed and popular back then, um, although I had an account since 05. Everybody won privy and up on Facebook back then. Um, so the way you worked was by, you know, getting people's numbers, texting, calling, going to their city, seeing them at a comedy spot and being like, yo, where's the next spot? Yo, tell me, give me the information, yada, yada, yada. And based off of how funny you were, you get the information. Um, when nobody would give you numbers, that means you had a whole lot of work to do. Uh, once again, to go back uh, a little earlier in the story, that's what made that New York trip where I was getting paid for shows so awesome because, you know, it had meant that I had accomplished something in that year, year and a half that made me worth my weight um, where I could go and get booked places and make money from something that I enjoyed. Um, so the Foxhole, the, the Laugh-A-Palooza experience also brought on a, a foxhole tie because when I moved to L.A., they had radio shows and stuff like that in the foxhole, and it was all the other comedians that I had met at the festivals and also seen working out in the circuit over the years who were, you know, co-hosts and stuff like that on the show. And so it became a matter of falling through and everybody, oh, yeah, Rhonda, she cool, yeah, bring her, yeah, 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 and all of that. And so uh, I ended up... Uh, co-hosting like mad episodes of Speedy's Comedy Corner like 08, 09 and then um, I stepped in a couple times in 2015 for his new show um, I can't remember what his new show was called but uh, and Speedy was like is I'm not I'm not saying it's past tense Speedy's Jamie's like right hand man or whatever so um you know, uh, you always were, like, involved in that camp. There was another guy uh, involved in the show. He was the program director, cat named Guy Black, who I found out was also from Chicago. I gave Guy Black one of my uh, early comedy uh, CDs, and Guy Black started putting it on rotation in Foxhole. Well, when your stuff goes on rotation on satellite radio, that results in a check, so I started getting these $2,000 checks like, hey, what the fuck going on? <laughs> People are playing my music. And it came from Foxhole. So um, those were like the earlier uh, relationships and like the earlier things that like happened from that. And in the background and at the helm of all of that, 
you would see Marcus King. Like, he would peek his head in. He'd be around. Um, you know, um, most of the time he was pretty serious. He wasn't really all out just hanging willy-nilly with everybody and stuff like that. So in my eyes, he, you know, he represented a sharp businessman. And so when I was looking for management, you know, I always, like, had Marcus's contact information. So when I was looking for management, he was one of the people I reached out to. Um, in the early days, he kind of looked at me like I was green. So he didn't really, you know, like, respond with the urgency or anything. But at this time, you know, 2016, I had already did Wildin' Out. I had already did Martin Lawrence First Amendment. Um, I was working colleges. And so, and also at that point, I had been in LA like eight years and I had worked all the various clubs. So, you know, you see people enough, it's like, well, you know what? Let me see. And then I ended up sending him my reels and stuff like that. And he was like, truth be told, I really didn't pay that much attention, but you actually got a lot of good stuff here. He's like, let's discuss. Let's let's talk. Let's let's discuss. Whatever, whatever. So Okay, boom. I was like, all right, Marcus is legit. Marcus didn't work with Mark Curry. Marcus didn't work with Jamie. Like, he was Jamie's soul, like, manager. And Jamie got an Oscar. Jamie got a Grammy. All the accolades that I want. Um, so that would be a good choice. And then the second choice um, that I ended up entertaining was this cat named Dwight Elmore, who was Tony Rock's manager. Um, Dwight was somebody who was always in the background uh, never did too much, never said too much. I had no reason to suspect or think that, you know, he would be a bad choice. Um, Tony was working. Uh, he was Chris Rock's brother. Tony was always a little bit everywhere. He was a solid stand-up comic. Um, so I thought that that was a good choice as well. And Dwight came, like, ready and prepared. He was eager to work with me. He had, like, all kind of numbers and stats. And you got this many followers, and you do this, and you got this, and this, this. And I know this person, I got this person. The talk was there. I mean, he really, really talked a good game. And he had ideas, and he had, um, like, oh, man, you should do this festival in South by Southwest, and da-da-da-da. I'm like, I've always wanted to do South by Southwest. Let's make it happen. See, I'm the type of person that I'm always ready for action, you know, and when I don't see action, then that's when my spidey senses get to tingling and it's like, oh, this motherfucker, no, I got to go. Um, granted, I do have to work on my patience. We've established that. But action is very, very big with me, especially when it comes to, like, business. And... um he, I wrote out an entire like three month, four month plan of the things I wanted to accomplish. Um, my mom ended up passing. Um, and so me talking to Marcus King about management, like, you know, he had left town or something like that. And he was like, I'm gonna get back to you. And it was like, I'm gonna get back to you. And I was like, okay. You know, once again, there's that patience thing, because in retrospect, I would have preferred Marcus King instead of the bullshit that I had to go through with Dwight. You don't know, but I'm about to tell you right now. So, uh, but Dwight was on it, right? So I was like, okay, let's do it. Even this podcast initially, you know, came out of working with Dwight because he was pushing, you should do a podcast. You rap, you got a broadcast degree, did it like he knew all my shit. Right. You you, you got to do it. Everybody podcast is the way to go now. Da, 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 da. I was so reluctant to do this motherfucking podcast. You have no idea. I was so reluctant. I didn't want to fucking do a podcast. 
Um, but I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna do a podcast. Um, I ended up being the main one that cared the most about it. I was, I, the laptop that I have right now is a result of me getting a podcast, uh, of this podcast. The, the Mac that I am doing GarageBand on right now is the result of having this podcast. Cause I had a laptop that was working just fine that I used. Um, the mic that I'm talking to you out of right now is the result of getting the podcast. And these were all things that once I decided I was going to do it and I said I was going to do it and I set an intention and I set a date, I was expecting to get it rolling. And, you know, he was talking about all the different guests that, oh, man, we can get Steve Rifkin. We can do this. We can get this person, this person, that person. I'm like, great, let's do it. And, you know, um, he got us Dana Dane, which was, you know, that was a righteous interview. Um, he got us a producer, Dwayne DeRock. And if you look at the um, earlier episodes of this podcast, you'll see you can like go listen to those episodes and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was on it. But then, you know, he started slacking. And that was the one major function in the podcast that he had. So then it was like, OK, well, you know. We're three comedians. You know, we can just riff and do what we want and whatever. Um, then it became a matter of him just hanging out and wanting to smoke and drink with us. And it's like, okay, you're not adding any value to this podcast. And then he wanted to take the podcast over, and he wanted to be this, one of the stars. And then it was like, yo, nigga, this ain't about you living out your shadow dreams. Either you go let us do the podcast or you do your own fucking podcast. But this is stupid. Um People don't like when women speak up because that makes us the bad guys. But the thing is, when we don't speak up, we ended up getting bulldozed or, you know, side railed by everybody else in the room. A woman with an opinion is a very dangerous person um, because people are used to women backing down or shutting up and not really being the woman and the person of power. The one thing about me being a stand-up comedian that um, I'm happy about is I have cultivated my skill of making my presence matter. When I'm in the room, you will notice me. When I'm in the room, I will be present. Like, it, there is no other option. My personality is too big, and I'm much too important to not be that way. Um, truth be told, everyone is, because God makes us special. But um, that's just a part of the skill that I cultivated. And um, it ended up being a situation where uh, the more I didn't want to let him have free reign over the podcast, you know, he started to disappear. He started to say little things under his breath. He always wanted to try to hang out with me. And it's like, hey, at the end of the day, I'm a comedian. Like, we talked about all of these things that we were going to do why can't you get this done? Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work on it. But then he would also mention like 45 other people he was working with. And it was like, okay, they aren't even comedians or disciplines all over the place. And then he was still working his day job. And then he still needed you to pick him up and give him a ride places. It was like, yo, 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 yo. When are you going to start working for me? Because I was getting this far on my own. I was getting my own work. I was getting my own bookings on my own. So um, he started giving me weird energy and I got all the way uncomfortable 
and started telling, you know, the other people I worked on the podcast with. But they did the usual okie doke, you know, the smile on your face and the, oh, it's probably nothing, uh, goofy shit. And I really, like, had, like, a for real concern. Um, I started noticing when I had things to do, he would call me up and keep me on the phone to sit up there and gossip about a bunch of nothing. And it would be hard to get him the fuck off the phone. Like, you know, talking to me like he was my homegirl. And so um, when I would tell him about it, he always had an excuse for it. He always had a story for it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, fast forward, I end up firing the guy because it's like this is extremely counterproductive, whatever. And I was met with the biggest bitch fest attitude in the world. Like, oh, well, first of all, what I had to do was fix all your relationships and fix this and did it. And I'm like, yo, one, where did this come from? Because when you were offered the opportunity, you kowtowed and you was shucking and jiving and, oh, you, you're this, you're that, and I can do this and I can do that and da 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 But then when you actually held accountable, now it's all of these excuses and now it's all of this, um, I don't, I don't have this, I don't have that. When and in the back of my mind, I was like, yo, when I asked 50, he agreed, he was on, like, yo, let's do it and meant the shit, you know. And once again, it was my impatience and also a little lack of belief in myself that he was serious, that he really wanted to work with me. And it didn't I didn't realize how wrong I was until later down the line. But unfortunately, it was too late because I ended up getting this manager and um, I stopped uh, I stopped uh, going to 50 for, uh, you know, that type of stuff. And, you know, I'm sure um, on his end, he might have felt like, well, dang, you know, Shorty was all, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. And then she, you know, she changed. Um, I can't really speak on all the ways that he felt or whatever, cause I wasn't around, but, um, the dynamic like shifted a little bit around that time. Um, I also was still, um, in talks and in negotiations, like with his show. So there was also like this line that I was trying not to, to cross even though, like, you know, we had already gotten to know each other and, that, like, we liked each other, there was also, like, this line that I was trying not to cross. However, um, what I started to notice uh, once I fired uh, Dwight was, you know, people in his camp and people that had loyal ties to him or whatever started treating me different. And then all of a sudden, you know, people wanted to try to do nice things for me or whatever. So, or, and he did too. He like, out of all the times that he wasn't able to do nothing, as soon as I fire him and I make a sketch and 50 posts the sketch right away on his social media, that day I get an email from him. Hey, I booked you on this show. Uh, first of all, okay, I guess, thanks. But I didn't ask you to do that. Like, I, like... And if you did it to do it, cool, but I didn't, I wasn't looking for you to do nothing. I fired you because I fired you, you know, um, which was the the introduction of all the Trojan horse shit that started to happen after this. And when I say Trojan horse, for those that know Greek mythology, you know, the Trojan horse was the trap bag gifts 
that, you know, the the opposing army sent in um, to take over, like, Helena Troy and shit. They said they were, they won, they were victorious, and they were celebrating their victory, and then they gave them the Trojan horse, they led them into the city gates, and when they got into the city gates, that horse exploded and had all them other soldiers in there and went in there and pillaged their whole fucking town. Um, that shit. The... Oh, let me offer up, you know, some 48 laws of power. You don't use generosity to disarm your victim bullshit. Like, let me throw you this show so it looked like I I was looking out. It looked like I tried to give you a look, but you were being so ungrateful and you were being so unreasonable, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was, you know, that pimp shit. Um, That happened. And it happened the day. 50 posted the sketch. And I posted the sketch on my my Instagram page um, about a month ago or whatever to show everybody what it was. Because, um, like, around that time, it started to become a little obvious that maybe I knew him a little bit more than professionally. And I didn't like that type of attention that I was getting. Because at that point, I had worked really, really hard for people to see me for the skills that I had. Um... One of the things that was going on in the background of my personal life um, that I was like adamant about making sure that I showcased my skills so that no one would have any other reason to um, discredit me or not feel like I didn't work for my shit. And also, before I even get into that, that whole attitude of me caring too much about that was a huge mistake in itself because in reality, fuck people. Um, Even when I think about some of the people who were judging me and some of the people who tried to paint me out to be this person that was using my body or using what I got to get what I want when that's a bunch of horse shit, I was always working a bunch of jobs um, so I wouldn't have to rely on anybody. Um, And the same people that are like judging me were like doing all kind of wild threesome orgy goofy shit fucking to get on because they know they didn't really have sustainable talent. And the only reason why they were really bothered by me is because I actually did have the talent and the chops. Like, you know, that would be the only reason why they cared. Um, And in this business where everybody's trying to do the exact same thing, you realize you're really surrounded by a gang of insecure people because, you know, art is personal. And when you aren't where you want to be in your art, you tend to take it personal and you tend to compare and you tend to go, what do they have that I don't have? And da 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 Me personally, I stay away from that and I try to, like, get away from that trap all the way together. I purposely, like, just engage in things that I enjoy which on the outside looking in made people paint me as aloof, stuck up, and narcissistic. Fine. If that's what I got to be, I'll take it because I'd rather be more engaged and focused on the things that I'm doing than walking around looking at everything everybody else is doing and we all sound and look alike and have no originality. Um, That's just not not what I want. Um, But... I digress, put a pin in there. What's happening in my personal life was I dated a comedian from my hometown. I'm going to go all the way back to 07. Nah, fuck that. Go all the way back to 06 when I first, first started. I dated a comedian named Little Rail, 
And uh, I was still a poet at the time, making my transition into comedy. And Rail met me as a poet um, and really liked my shit. Um, and as he was, you know, big upping me for the poetry shit, I was like, I really want to do what you do. Like, I seen you do comedy. I think you're hilarious. I want to I wanna get hilarious. And he was like, hey, there's a club named Jokes and Notes, and you need to go, blah, 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 blah. He was, like, super supportive. Um, and at the time, I really, really needed that because I really had been bitten by the comedy bug and loved it so much but had, like, damn near next to zero support. I mean, everybody was, like, talking to me and treating me like I lost my mind trying to be a comedian. I mean, they were, oh, you made all those good grades and you want to do comedy, bitch, that's stupid, da-da-da-da-da. Um, my mother even personally told me I threw my I was throwing my life away. And she and I, like, you know, had, like, a, a riff for, like, a year or two. Um, and when you're not speaking to your mom because y'all got beef, that's kind of a, a touchy area. Um, so having rail around in those in those days was like real therapeutic and real cool. Like I needed the energy like that he provided. And we started off as friends. We ended up dating. Um, Real wasn't who he was now. He was really on the rise. He like really was in the beginning stages of getting super funny. Um, And, you know, the local cats really hated that. They hated, (laughs) they hated on him so bad. And they would purposely, you know, um, do things to try to throw him off his game and mistreat him. And because I was the chick associated with him, um, they would mistreat me too. And then, like, low-key, they all kind of wanted to holler at me. And because I picked him, oh, bitch, you really going down. You go down with him type of deal. I'm such a rider and I'm so cool that I took all of that and, um, like, you know, rode out with Rail. Uh, We had our differences, a whole lot of cheating happened on his behalf where I didn't trust him, and we had a falling out. Um, In the background of that, which I regret how I did it because it created so much problems, but, you know, it's nothing I can do about it now, hindsight 2020. Um, In the background of that, that was around the time Dion started flirting with me, Dion Cole, and... Um, I knew they were cool, but they weren't real super tight at all, in fact. And Rare was being such a dick and so disrespectful. I was like, dude, fuck you. Uh, you fucking half of West Side Chicago right now, <laughs> and I'm good. Um, Dion and I had more of a romantic, genuine connection that I didn't have with Rail. Me and Rail really more and more like buddies that turned sexual and we turned it into a relationship. Um, but he really like fell for me and didn't know how to show it to me. Um, we argued and fought all the goddamn time. Um, but when I started seeing Dion, it was not public knowledge. I didn't really, uh, talk about it at all. Um, and that's how fast you find out that, um, Comedy and, and entertainment turns into high school real quick uh, because then it turns into this person slept with him and this person slept with him and they slept with him first and, oh, bitch, how dare you? So now I don't like you. I mean, it was a mess. It was just a whole lot of drama and 
in a, in a mess. And that created like a rift locally where I didn't even want to be bothered with half of the comics in my city just because like to me it was petty, it was stupid, and half of them was fucking each other anyway. <laughs> like if you want to know the truth, um, I, I mean, all kind of, man, I know everybody's business. And that was the thing. I wasn't going around telling everybody's business, nor did I care. But the fact that they were that invested in my business was like, what? It just was like, it made no sense to me. Um, but Dion and I ended up having a very real, very genuine connection. And so I clung to that for dear life because at least that was one person that, you know, I enjoyed his company thoroughly. We had a whole lot in common. We loved the same music. We we had this chemistry, this, this all of that. You know, um, he, he was from home, so he knows about the Chicago shit and how that works. And he was 15 years my senior, so he was experienced in other areas and would give me game. And I appreciated that, you know, like we kind of had like a mentor, mentee thing going on. Um, and then... I developed so much of my humor um, and my confidence because I started giving him joke tags and he would put them on stage and the shits would work. And so when the, the joke started hitting, the shit I was coming up with, it gave me confidence to have free reign in the shit that I was writing um, for myself. But then it started to take a uh, that's where like the emotional abusive turn kind of came in because I wouldn't get credit for the things I came up with for real. Like he would keep all of that love and praise and things for himself. Um, or, or only mention it if it was convenient in a way for him. Um, and then also outside of that, you know, there were several people he was seeing and, you know, he went back and forth between, a main relation, a main existing relationship that he previously had. And I did the stupid girl thing. Well, you know, no, you know, he told me this and this is that, you know, that bullshit women tell ourselves when we know we know better. Uh, I'm totally guilty of that. Um, it turned into great material um, on stage, but um, that is the area of, like self-love where I neglected myself and because I neglected myself in those ways and because I participated in that, um, that really, um, gave him too much leverage in my life. Um, because he was able to keep me in his pocket. Um, you know, when he needed me to work on something for him or do anything for him and he knew I was I was going to be there front and center, um, that's where he kept me. And when I didn't want to do things for him, then it always turned into this conversation of, well, you know, uh, they, you know, well, we're going to get out and they're going to blackball you and this, that and the third. And because I loved my career so much and because um Comedy just was provided just such a breath of fresh air for me and gave me such an outlet that I loved, that I needed. And it was a way for me to see the country and see the world. I, I traveled outside of the United States. Comedy did all that. Jokes, motherfucking jokes paid for that shit. And there's just no feeling like it. Um, 
it, it provided like this level of freedom, but the security of it was so whack and so uncertain. And he knew that. Um, he knew that just specifically based on his own journey. I mean, like I said, he was 15 years my senior and he had lean years and he know if he had lean years, I, you know, and I had less experience and I'm a woman and he already know how they treat women in the game. Like that, that was his go-to all the time. Like, oh, you going to need me and da, 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 da. Um, at some point the relationship got physically abusive and, um, I started to press charges, but what happened was at that point where it got out of control, he was already uh, a staff writer on the Tonight Show, uh, Conan O'Brien, and he was the first black writer that they hired. And the the level of pride that gave other black writers, um, the opportunity it provided for the talent scouts of that show to come to the hood and come to Chicago and try to pick up untapped talent um, based off of Dion's contribution. Um, I witnessed that whole thing from start to finish. I witnessed that entire process from when he just was working on his set because he might be somebody that's going to do a set that that might get, you know, some time on the show. I was there the day he got the call to perform on The Tonight Show. I picked out his outfit. I went to Comedy Magic Club with him, the Hollywood Improv, everywhere all around L.A. to help him really tighten that five-minute setup. Um, I was right there in the audience with a black-ass eye as he was filming that episode, um, right there with him in support of the entire thing. I was there when he got the call the next day because Conan was so blown away by what he did and how unique he was that he wanted to bring him to Conoco and have a meeting. I was there pulling the alcohol bottles and putting them away and all of that shit so that he could be sober to go and not fuck up this opportunity that can bring him... um, a new life for him. Um, he was real apprehensive of taking that writing job because he was so accustomed to being a stand up and really liked the stand up life, quote unquote. But, you know, I was like, dude, think about it. You can win an Emmy. <laughs> like, and they got it. He got Emmy nominated. It, it really happened. And I was a part of that entire process. And to be a part of something like that, um, that's completely positive. It's like the mistake you make is going, well, I don't want, like, you know, like sacrificing you for in exchange for, you know, their glory or whatever. Um, I just didn't want to see a black man lose an opportunity over me. And I definitely didn't want to deal with the backlash of being that bitch that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So, you know, um, I pressed charges. They called my phone. They called him at work. His manager called me. Um, and I just, I didn't, I didn't press the charges. Uh, I called my father on him, and my father was 
who I thought was going to protect me actually was trying to like plea bargain with him. And you guys need to, need to squash that because y'all two people from Chicago and y'all don't want to end up in the system. And I'm just like, nigga, whose side you on? But I took that on the chin. That was like high level betrayal. But what I'm going to do, that's my father. Like, like what I'm going to do? He brought me in the world and I didn't have any beef with my dad and I didn't have any um, deep-seated feelings or any negative feelings or whatever outside of him and my mom not getting along and me hating the dynamic of their relationship. I always felt like they needed to separately live apart and just enjoy their lives. Um, but that was the only like real negative feelings I had toward my dad. But um my dad is a heavy gambler. Um, and so with that whole situation, he really showed like one, his level of greed, and two, like that he had no spine. Um, and that was the first time he showed me that. I'm going to get into the second time he showed me that. I don't talk to my father anymore, guys. Um, and I don't know when the next time will be that I'll talk to him. And Father's Day is coming up Sunday. He will not be getting a call from me this year. He better remember everything I said last year because, mm. um, yeah, I uh, that happened. And so uh, it took me a long time to unwrangle myself from that situation. I had very deep-seated feelings and very deep loyalty towards um, towards him, uh, towards Dion, and I, I never uh, wanted him to suffer on behalf of me, regardless of the stuff that happened. And so I tried to always quietly untangle myself. But the thing is, you know, if I went a long period of time without, you know, talking to him or, you know, whatever. Um, he'd find a way to like dangle some opportunity or act like Trojan horse shit, act like he was looking out and it ended up being something that favors him more than anything. And I realized I was basically being the fuzzy slippers in that situation. And I just didn't want any part of it. Uh, it all came to a head when I helped him do his stand up special for Comedy Central. Um, uh, he had to come back to me because I was somebody who knew his material inside and out like nobody else. And he wanted and needed me to operate the teleprompter so he could have his set in there and have everything, you know, together. I helped him organize it. I helped him chronic, chronic you know, beginning, uh, put it in chronological order, beginning, middle, end, so that it flowed and, and really entertain the audience fully because you know, I, I do this from all angles, not just as a comedian, but as an audience member, as a, somebody who enjoys comedy. And he knows that and he knows how good I am at it. And he respects my opinion and my ability in that. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, it always comes like with a, a, like a slap in the face at the end, you know. Um, it happens. And I mean, like literally after we done taping, like he just, you know, uh, pretty much like discards me. Like he talked to me in the most disrespectful way. I had to go somewhere and cry. 
and, you know, act like it didn't happen. And then just the whole ride to the after party was mad uncomfortable. Like his friend, Brooklyn, and her sister, they getting mad disrespectful. And I'm just sitting there looking at him. And he let it happen, didn't take up for me, didn't say nothing. And I was just like, okay, get through this night and we're done. And I kept telling myself that. And no matter what happened through the night, I was like, get through this night and we're done. Um, we get back to the hotel and I just get to my floor and exit the elevator. And everybody was real tense because they still wanted to party some more. They wanted to go back to the suite and play house music and kick it. And I was just like, no, we're done here. And he ends up texting me while I'm in my room and I'm just turning him down. No, I'm good. Thanks. No, no. And he got hella disrespectful and threatened me. And I got so full of rage, I marched right up to that hotel room and made a fucking fool of myself. I acted a plum ass. You wouldn't have none of this shit. I, you would have been in jail. I would have had you locked up by now. But I'm always down for you. And this is how you treat me. Fuck you. Blah, 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 blah. I acted a plum fool. Um, not proud of it at all. And we fell out. Um... There was a period where I was like, all right, well, let me, I don't have to be cool. I don't have to engage with him the way that we did, but I'm going to see him. We're in the same circles. Let me try to be cool. And I tried that. That didn't work at all. So I just abruptly cut him off and let it go. Um, this is very key because 2016 happened to be my 10-year comedy anniversary. And um, I wanted to treat myself to a trip to Cabo. Um, I decided that, especially with me walking away from that Dion situation, I just wanted to be around people I cared about, people that I loved, or people that I felt like I could have a good time with, and just like really celebrate that accomplishment. And everybody that I invited wasn't able to make it. Everybody that I invited, one way or another, excused themselves from the trip. Either they just couldn't afford it, or um, it was too much money or, um, oh, well, for that amount, that's, you only go on for three, four days. That's too short. Like it was, just, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And so I ended up going to Cabo by myself. The only person, um, who like had my back was my girl, Tanya Irby, who I've been friends with since second grade. Um, she was like, well, I told you I was going and I canceled last minute and I feel fucked up about it. So I'm going to give you my portion of the hotel. I think that, you know, that that's the, the fair thing to do. I thought I was going to be able to get the time off work. I really can't. I'm really sorry, but I'm at least give you the portion that I would have had. So you don't have to come out of pocket on all of that for yourself. Cause you did have it reserved and you, you, you had it all set to go and I, I feel fucked up. Tanya looked out for me, and I actually want to take this time to give an apology to Tanya because um, she did that, and she came through as a friend, as Tanya always do. Tanya was at my wedding. Tanya did things that my best friend um, didn't even do, and I love her, and I appreciate her so much, and... When her birthday came around, Tanya's a Gemini, her birthday was June 7th, um, 
Actually, I think it's June 8th because <laughs> my birthday is September 8th. Um, Tanya's birthday came around. And by that point, that's when I got the pilot, you know, for the 50 Cent show. And I had to fly out to New York to go do it around the same time that they were going to Vegas to celebrate her birthday. So, you know, um, I wasn't able to go. Uh, but just like her career came first and she couldn't celebrate with me, my career came first and I couldn't celebrate with her. But she came up off some bread. She gave me 300 you know, for the hotel and, and all of that. I wasn't able to come off no bread. Um just because of the situation that I was in. I had just got back from Cabo. I was in between apartments and had to go to New York and be for two weeks. And that was not something that we got paid a whole lot of money to do. We got paid one stipend that they didn't even give us until the end. Um, at the end of the, like, I, I was out there for like two weeks or something like that. Um, we didn't get that money till the very, very end. And so, you know, you out there in New York and that's a trip in itself. And you're not getting nothing for two weeks. I had to use the the resources I had. And she understood. She was extremely understanding about it. And she was cool. But truth be told, in the back of my mind, I feel like that may have created, you know, a problem between us. That specific event. Because it was like, you know, I showed up for you right there. And I always show up for you, and I would have appreciated it if you could have showed up for me. Um, and she didn't make a big deal out of it, but something in my heart and something in the back of my mind makes me feel like it mattered to her um, more than how she responded. So I just, um, she's probably not listening right now, but it doesn't matter. I want to um, apologize to her. Um and I'll probably send her a text message as well. She's going to respond and be like, girl, what you talking about? But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so that happened. When I went down to Cabo, I had the most amazing experience. And that began the first real surge of new freedom, new, lo- new leash on life, girl power, awesome shit that I was on that I carried for the rest of 2016 all the way up until like last year, last, 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 uh, summer, last 2017, you know, September, October, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of that was first spearheaded in Mexico. Um, it was just the most liberating and awesome experience I ever had. And what was weird was when I began to post the pictures of all the fun I had, some of the same people who weren't able to go was low key jealous that they weren't there. How that happens and how I'm supposed to deal with that, I don't know. But that's just like the reality. I mean, people admitted it. So um, that was going on in the background. And Dion reached out to me while I was in Cabo and I was ignoring him and playing him to the left because I didn't want to be bothered. Um, I had finally reached my limit and I was done with his bullshit. Um, which he didn't really take too kindly to that. Who you down there in Hawaii with? Da, da, da. Don't worry about it. I'm I'm busy. I gotta go. I'm about to go swimming. Like, leave me alone. Um, as I'm getting back in the country, he picks this fight with me while I'm like trying to get through customs and focus. I'm I'm in a whole different country. And I'm arguing, text arguing back and forth with him about to miss my flight. 
And I had this epiphany like, dude, just stop replying because this is never going to end. He does not care. It's not going to end. Just stop it. And I just, I, I said my piece. I read him his rights and I did not reply. He kept texting and texting and texting. And I was serious and I didn't reply. He kept texting and texting and texting. And that was the first step, first time that I exposed somebody. Um, as soon as I got back to the States, um, I wrote this long, it's Facebook, keep all your memories. So it'll pop up at some point in April again. But I wrote this long detailed post detailing everything, detailing the abuse, the broken ribs, the punctured lung, everything. But I never put his name, but he knew what he did. So um, he started being on pins and needles after that. Um, I told him not to contact me. He made sure, he made goddamn sure he didn't contact me after that. But meanwhile, everybody else was, well, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I made sure to end the post with, I'm not saying who he is because I don't want nothing from him and I'm not trying to ruin his life. I just want him to leave me the hell alone. Um, so, you know, there was no trying to get any money or extortion or any of that. Like, the post was just flat out. Like, this is what's going on. This is why I act a certain way. This is why I do things this way. I don't want to be bothered. I just want him to leave me alone. And I know if I make it public, he'll stop. And he did. I didn't hear. That was April 2016. I didn't receive a single solitary text from him, any type of form of contact, until June. Truth be, oh, my God. Wow. 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 Until June 14th of last year. And the reason why I know the exact date, because it was the date that my Virgo, um, Arana Astrology video went viral. The day I got a million views, that day I got a million views, like magic, you know, like a crackhead to the dope, he texts me, hey, anytime I show and prove I don't need him and have no interest in anything, he always show up to try to see if, you know, like the devil, if I can lure you in one more time. Um, and I just, by that point, so much time had lapsed. It had no effect on me and I never replied. Um, prior to that, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. He followed me on social media. Um, I don't remember after what specific post it was that made him follow me. Um, cause it was a minute ago, but I was like, eh, I guess that's harmless. Let bygones be bygones. I still don't have nothing to say. And, you know, whatever. So I followed back, and that was kind of short-lived. I started seeing a bunch of stuff I didn't like, so I unfollowed, and that eventually led to me blocking him. Um, and I've blocked him on all my stuff. Um, and that's that chapter. The reason why that is important, it's very important, because I didn't meet 50 until June 2016. Like three months after uh, my final text and my exposing uh, Dion on Facebook without saying his name, um, it was three months after that. And I didn't expect to have the experience that I had when I met 50, truth be told, at all. I was so fucking nervous and 
I was nervous. I wasn't expecting um, him to be as um, charming and just, he was just genuinely cool. He wasn't, he wasn't on nothing. He wasn't on no trying to mack me up or nothing. And I wasn't on that neither. It was, it wasn't like that at all. It was, that was what was so cute and cool about it. It was simple. It was just, you know, um, uh, I used my little humor and made little jokes, you know, like, oh my God, this is happening. Like, oh shit, this is heaven. Where, where Peter at? Is Peter up in here? Holy shit, where's Peter? You know, like just <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I did offer to make him a plate. I was like, did you just sit there looking all cute? My inner black woman is happening. You hungry? Like, you know, just <laughs> you want a plate? Are you good? Did you eat? <laughs> it was all of that. But it was like lighthearted and good humored. Like it was, it was just, it was cool. Um, and yeah, that like, especially the the picture that I post the most on my social pe- the media, the, the very first one where we're both like matching and shit, which was crazy. That was the beginning of a phenomenon. We That was another thing that would happen. We'd show up and have on like the same colors and hadn't seen each other and all this other stuff. Um, just one of the weird like happenstance synchronicity shits that would be popping off and stuff. But that first, first picture, like I nearly fell over the minute he touched me. I was like, oh my God. It was like, it wasn't, I was so nervous. It wasn't, it wasn't no uh, extracurriculars or anything like that at all. But uh, the energy was good and it was genuine. And it was like a lot of like jokes and humor. And ended up seeing him again uh, later that week because we didn't film with him all the time. Like he was so busy that he was going off set doing other stuff. Like he had mad stuff to run at the same time. We only spent like a, a matter of a few hours with him, if that. Um, and then I was in uh, three sketches with him, uh, three or four, yeah, three or four sketches with him. Um, and so that was, you know, that was it, like the filming and stuff like that. And then like that was a wrap. Uh, he ended up coming to a comedy club, uh, one of the my coworkers, uh, co-stars, um, was a regular and a host at New York Comedy Club. And he invited, uh, he invited him, he invited Fifth out. Like, man, I host here, you know, you can come check it out. Fifth was like, dang, I, you know, I kind of want to watch some comedy. And so Fifth's people got in contact with him and Fifth like popped up over there. And everybody was tripping about it. And I was there with somebody who was an ex of mine who uh, ended up being very toxic in this uh, situation Um, because the minute he saw that situation and how it unfolded, like this jealousy started to happen. And him and I had no type of intimate nothing since like 04. Even in the periods where we both divorced and tried to see if something was popping off, nothing cracked off at all. Like, it just didn't swing that way for us. So his jealousy made no sense to me. It was like, uh, if you're going to be doing this, at least I should be smashing or something. Like, what the fuck? How dare you? Like, but he got on this, 
this jealous guilt thing that was real weird, like calling me up at three in the morning, like, man, I took the wrong train home. I just, I don't know where my mind was at, but uh, the night, the night he saw like Fifth at the club and saw me talking to Fifth, and the night uh, he put his number in my phone and all of that, like he was acting hella weird and just, I don't know what's wrong with me and da 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 da, and our whole dynamic changed. Um, where we started being real short with each other. Uh, we used to be able to be friends, um, especially since there was, like, no sexual connection. But um, that, like, gradually wore down and changed, and now he's another person that I don't talk to at all. Um, like, just that was an eye-opener for me. Like, as much as I knew who Fifth was and you know, how large of a celebrity is. Um, I'd never talked to somebody that was that large where just their sheer presence created like discord, envy, um, hatred, like just their sheer presence. Like he didn't even do anything. He didn't say shit. It wasn't nothing tremendous happened. Just the, just on the sheer show up, Hey, how you doing? Here's a hug. Hey, girl. Just that simple stuff was enough to spring up a whole bunch of, oh, oh, that's that's what you own. Oh, oh that, that that nigga. Oh, 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 like just all that extraness. Um, yeah, that was something that happened a lot. And um once I started seeing that energy in people. I started being around them less. Um, during the interim of when the show was supposed to get picked up or whatever, I was still doing comedy shows and colleges, and um, I started making more sketches, and I saw how much love he uh, Fit was showing people, um, that, like like post-sketches post that were funny, um, that like incorporated his bread. And I had like the cute idea for a song um, and I wanted to showcase like, you know, like my singing and rapping skills, uh, especially since I talked to him about management. I wanted to actually show him what I could do instead of tell him. Um, I like sent him a text. I was like, look, I'm sick of this L.A. shit. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I hate these niggas. And I want to leave. Uh, I sent I sent a, a a a message that was just like something my niece would send me. Like hey, like when my niece is upset with my nephews, they're doing this and this, and I hate them. I want to go. I sent him a message like that. Like I'm I'm done with this shit. I'm done with the games. I'm done with the politics. Let me shoot you a motherfucking commercial. I got a commercial idea. I'm gonna shoot it. And send it to you. And he didn't reply, right? And I made that shit within like an hour or two. Sent it to him, fully packaged, all that. And he posted it right away. And because he didn't reply to the text, I was kind of like, what the fuck? You know, whatever. Then I looked online, I was like, oh, oh. Oh, wow, cool. <laughs> um, and it got met with hatred. Um People were looking at me like, oh, that's cheating. We're making sketches and you're having a celebrity poster sketch. That's cheating. And it's like, what? What's, 
how is that cheating? And I didn't know that this was a game, and I didn't know that that mattered. And if you care that much, why you act like you don't follow me? Like, you know, like, why, you know, is it like, fuck all that. Do you, did you, you watched it. Was it funny? Did you like it? Hit the like button and let's keep it moving. Um, all of that stuff started to happen. So now we're full circle with the management story um, and, and all of that. Like now we're full, full circle with everything. So uh, the day he posted that sketch was the day that, you know, Dwight was trying to offer me like work and all of that. And that was supposed to be his whole, well, see, you fire me and I still gave you a gig. Little did I know that what was going on in the background was the show that I was working on got sold to uh, BET. We were working on it on the A&E network. It got sold to BET. Um, Dwight had hella connections up at BET. In fact, when, um, oh, I'm leaving out something that's real important. Um, So I was getting trolled. This is very, very key because it's going to tie all three uh, storylines together. I was getting trolled heavily. Starting in November 2016, around the time that I was taking meetings for the management, um, by this account called Jaquan212. I'm talking about that account was coming for me in the worst way, and it was just like I thought it was some teenager. Um, I would roast it and just keep it moving. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was a kid. Uh, um, and then one day, like he was trolling, Charlie Murphy died. And, you know, I know that, you know, that camp is like associated with Dave Chappelle. It's a lot of mutual friends, you know, black Hollywood can be real close knit when it wants to be. Um, and it was all this outpouring of support and, and, you know, condolences and, you know, all the comics were posting their condolences because Charlie Murphy was dope, you know? And I posted, you know, condolences. And then I posted one of the Chappelle sketches. And everybody was like, wow, you know, like, you know, like what five things say to the space? You know, the Rick James shit was classic. Like, who don't remember that? Who didn't love that? And the account just started going in, you disrespectful bitch. And I'm like, whoa, who the fuck is this? And he's like, that man died. And see, that wasn't even funny. See, that's why you ain't made it yet. You corny. And it's like, what? You ain't made it yet? Made it according to who? Made it talking about what? Then he goes on to bring up a whole bunch of shit regarding wilding out. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's like, and then he's like, maybe if you would have slept with Nick, you'd still be on the show. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Where is this coming from? And who is this? Because whoever this is, they got to be upset. Um, and I was showing the text, you know, to, you know, guy friends and shit. And, you know, like one of them was like, immediately, who is that? And, you know, that was like, somebody must be mad. I immediately, like, I, I started showing the text, you know, because I was trying to figure out who it was. And I was showing the text to people, and somebody was like, yo, who is that? Ain't nobody that mad unless they know you. Like, why would they even think to say something like that? And I started researching the account. I look at the account. The account is following a bunch of random celebrities. Oh, but it happens to be following Dwight's personal account. Now, Dwight is not a social media influencer on any 
way, shape, or form, even though he did want to try to take the podcast and turn it into his podcast, uh, which shows that he is one of those shadow artists that wish that he had the moxie, the talent, or whatever to be in the forefront, but he just doesn't. So he lives vicariously through the people in the arena. Um, in this business, you see people like that that do shit like that all day long. I mean, it's nothing that is out of the ordinary, but the fact that a random account that's trolling me is following his personal account was real alarming, especially since that account said personal shit. Because everybody knows, especially, you know, uh, how people care about social media so much. Uh, when you have a secondary account, and I'm somebody that has a secondary account, so I already know, you tend to follow the other account, you know. Um, and people that are clout chasers really make sure they do it so that their main account can have just one more extra follower, you know, that goofy shit. And I'm scrolling down on the timeline, and it has all these different pictures of me, you know, all my Cabo pictures, the pictures of me on a bikini, the pictures of me on the beach, uh, it has the picture of the first, uh, the first, okay. So people who've been following me for a while know this. They know this, know this. Um, I never owned a bikini till I was like damn near 30. Uh, I just wasn't comfortable in my curves like that. I used to be uh, shamed a lot for my shape. Um, a lot by my mom um, and just other people. And so um, I have one of them shapes that get attention whether I want it or not. And when I get attention that I don't want, it gets very uncomfortable for me um, because, unfortunately, the men that give that attention don't know how to act. I mean, I got one of them bodies that I don't have to say much. I don't have to do much. I throw on some leggings. And a truck with a man trying to get my attention is going to follow me for five blocks. That's just the way it is. It's been that way since I've been about 13. Um, I've actually been followed home before, you know, years ago when I was in high school, like of some strange man trying to abduct me. So I don't play games with that and at all. And it took me some years to get over that, to feel comfortable with, you know what? Fuck it. Shout out to my gay homeboys. I love y'all. I love y'all for living y'all lives and being so free because you, you, you inspire everybody to be just as liberated as you are. And you are truly God's people. And I love you because it took one of my homies to be like, bitch, you better work it. <laughs> <laughs> he was in his 50s. He was he's like, bitch, I'm an old fag, okay? And the reason why I love myself and love my life and I can feel good with this pot belly, because, bitch, when I had it, I worked it. And he showed me all kind of pictures of with his chiseled chest and his blue eyes. And just He was killing them back in the day. He's like, oh, bitch, I worked it. I worked it. I don't have no regrets because, bitch, I worked it. He's like, and I'm going to tell you something. Everybody go get old. All that shit is cool and shit now. It's great now. But we all going to get old. It's not going to hang the way it used to. It's not going to be. We going to all get old. But, you know, one of the reasons why I'm happy is because when I had it, bitch, I worked it. And I was like, God damn, he right. I need to work it. <laughs> and I started working it. <laughs> But before that, before that awakening, before that all happened, I didn't really even own bikinis. And I say that to say, my very first bikini, I made a whole YouTube video out of it. Uh, and it's on YouTube now still. That was like one of my first big viral YouTube videos, unfortunately, because me in a bikini made 
all kind of people come out the woodwork like, damn, that's what she was hiding under there. Damn, da 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 da. World star hit me up over that goddamn video. Like, man, you want to be a world star girl? We'll give you fifteen hundred. Like all that shit, which is why the 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 treatment that I've been getting in the last year or whatever is so fucking insulting. Cause I was turn I turned world star down. I turned all that shit down. Cause I didn't want that to be my brand and I didn't want to be capitalized as that because I knew I had the actual talent and the actual skill to show up and deliver. Um and to get back into the the thing, that's pretty much how I figured him out. I mean when I was on Wildin' Out, like, people would always make jokes of, oh, you only got that because you slept with Nick. You only got that because you slept with him. I'm like, dude, I don't even know Nick. Like, Nick came on set and, like, and this is no diss or nothing. It's just, I'm I'm putting it all out there. This is the full podcast. This is everything straight from the horse's mouth. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I'm not lying on a motherfucking soul at all. And I'm also being honest of where I fell short and where I fucked up at and the things that I did that can be looked at as shitty. I'm being all the way 1000 with it. Um, but they didn't talk to me like that. In fact, they mistreated me when I was there and I never spoke negatively about the show ever. Not one time. I always said it was a great opportunity. I always said it was a stepping stone every time. Always. I never said anything really negative about the show. Um, any conversations I had about the show that weren't in the best light were with people that did it previously and had the same opinion I had or uh, people that had run-ins with it and they had a negative experience too. We were able to um, bond in that moment. Now, I get it. You know, people go behind your back and they say whatever, whatever, but I never, ever, ever publicly shamed the show, publicly shamed anybody involved in the show, spoke down, talked down, anything. And, you know, like I said, people always, because I'm cute, people always try to play that, you know, oh, you did this and that. And it's like, no, I didn't. So for that person to go, well, if you would have fucked them, it's like, you got to be somebody I know because the people I know know that. Everybody else is is saying the, the goofy shit. And truth be told, you know, um, it was like before I showed up on the show, they didn't really have any females that was as diversely talented as I was. Um, and they didn't really welcome it. Um, at first, I was getting treated like I was only there to be cute. That's exactly how I was being treated. Like I was only there to be cute. And then I started showing them a whole different different side. And when I was in rehearsals, I wouldn't give them my hot shit because I was already told from people who used to work for the show, yo, them cast members still, you don't want to bring your hot shit. They still. Like, you don't want to come up with something hot and, and joking and in passing because that shit's going to end up on air and somebody else is going to say it. They're going to come out and beat you to it. I was, they was like, so if you got something that you come up with in the moment while you off camera, don't say that shit ever. Um, like save all the hot shit for when you tape. And that's what I did. Um, I, I did pretty well for the, the, the shit that I taped. I had fun. Um, it was like, it was, it was great. I got great footage from it and I took that little bit of what I got from it and I worked it. I went on the road. They didn't even have a wild and out tour before I, the years before I did it. I went on a stand-up tour immediately after I did the show um, and, and started doing stuff. 
Um, and then when they started doing the tours, I wasn't invited to be on those uh, um, on none of the stand up tours. And I had the experience, and I had more time than some of the people that they had on the, on the tour. And I didn't take it personal. I didn't, you know, I wasn't. I didn't even care. And it was weird because it was a bunch of people that was trying to make me care. I didn't give a fuck about it, like because I figured whatever they got their reasons. It is what it is. You know, I did what I did. I got what I got from it, and I was grateful for it. And um, that was a show that I always wanted to be on because I loved it um, in the early days when they had Cat and all that on there. And I said back then, once again, sowing a seed, I said back then when that used to be my little show to watch when I was coming home from family video and a long day and shit, I used to watch that shit and be like, yo, that shit is fun. I want to do it. And to be able to do it and get the opportunity and have something to show for it, that was full circle enough for me um, to show me that, hey, the law of attraction is working in all the ways I needed to. Um, was it the 100% experience I wanted and needed? No. Do I feel like they could have treated me better? Yes. Um, but it was a boys club, which comedy is a boys club. And so, you know, once I got that, I just, you know, I was like, oh, okay. Just like how everything else is, that's fine. Um, I got written off as having a bad attitude because I was vocal about the shit that wasn't fair. Um, But that shit was kind of corny anyway because, you know, uh, one of the executive producers, now Evans, who had my email, had my number, had my personal information, would contact me about shit, but block me on social media. It's like, what? Like, and I never did anything to him. So it was like, what's his problem? What's his deal? And then I remember one time he told me, you should focus less on being sexy and more about being funny. It's like, wait, when was there the sexy versus funny dichotomy? Like, I actually have material. Like, I, I save all my sex stuff for the end of my set. Like, what are we talking about? Um, I was like, do you even know any of my jokes? Like, what do we, you know, whatever. Outside of that and Nell's little run-ins, that's like really the only negative experiences that I experienced with the show. And as far as Nick is concerned, I don't have anything. Like, Nick ain't did nothing but say hi and bye. He played, um, he played, uh, he DJ, he spun. Like, he DJs and stuff. He would spin in between the episodes. We would have fun and rock out to that. He would lead the prayer backstage. <laughs> Pretty much it. Like, I don't, like, that was that whole situation. Anything else that happened where my name came out of his mouth, I don't know nothing about. Like, because that was it. And I was on the season that he was going through all the divorce stuff with Mariah. So he wasn't hardly there. He would have his kids and do other stuff. It wasn't... Like, you know, whatever. But that just shows me how much the guys gossip and um, they gossip like women. And, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that just kind of come with the territory and you got to suck it up. But um, that was that experience. And I don't know. Uh, there were people that, like, tried to holler at me during that experience that I wasn't interested in. 
Um, and so that added to my list of scorned males that want to see me fail. Cause fuck that bitch. She don't want to talk to me who she thinks she is, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it wasn't all of them that felt that way. Some of them treated me very nice. Some of them, Batch was so nice and so respectful. Um, and he wasn't the only one. Some of them treated me very, very nice. Um, even the producers, other producers, they were nice. Like, you know, um, so it wasn't. It wasn't everybody. It wasn't even anything that was worth. That's why when it wasn't, when it didn't come back around for me, I was just like, all right, and kept it moving. I didn't, I didn't allow it to take up any psychic real estate in my life. If anything, it would be other people like, well, why ain't you on the show? What happened? Well, what's going on? Well, don't you, man, this season is popping. Why you ain't on it? It would be that going on more so than anything. Um, and I believe some of those people were behind the troll accounts. Um, so, um, no, I, I don't believe. I know some of those people was behind the troll accounts. But, I mean, I can't stop grownups from doing dumb shit. So, fast forward, all this shit is going on in the background. Um I end up exposing Dwight uh, and exposing his page for who he is. And then that's when the threats really started coming. Oh, you don't know who you're messing with. We're going to get a lawsuit. We're going to sue you for damaging reputation. Try it because it's him. The minute I, call, the minute I called him out, he, his page went private. And it's like, no, 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 show, show the shit you got on your page. Show them how you got me posted like every five posts. While people sitting up here talking about the posts that I be having about 50. You got me posted like every five posts. So I fired you and you want revenge. I got it. You know a gang of people at BET and I get it. And his show got moved to BET. Mind you, 50 knows none of these people. Um, and let alone my connection to him. Because at this point, he and I aren't talking. Um, he's living his life. I'm living mine. And then my ex Dion ends up getting a show also on BET network, but not only on the same network on the same night, Dion's show was the lead in the fifties show. And he got beef with me cause I won't talk to him anymore. And I put him out about, put him out there on front street about domestic violence. Um, so you got two niggas with a vendetta. <laughs> You got two niggas with a vendetta <laughs> on some fuck around shit in the ear of somebody who, you know, uh, thinks I'm cool and all kind of shit happens in the background. One thing leads to another, um, like, and it just turns into a firestorm um, come Emmy Sunday, September 2017, where, like, all of these accounts started lampooning me um, for me, like, posting on social media, pretty much admonishing 50 when I felt like he was mocking my posts. Um, I had a very specific hashtag, a very specific, um, like, a lot of, like, specific sayings, you know, like, nerdy, sexy, cool, and, you know, what a, you, well, the Drake album, What a Time to Be Alive, that, like, was my hashtag for a long time. Um, but just, you know, like different sayings. And I saw 50 mirroring my posts, posting and reposting the things that I was posting. And I posted on social media, calling them out like, yo, what the fuck? And to see the different responses of the different accounts 
that reply. Like, oh, we got her. Oh, shit, she cracked. Oh, shit. It was like, wait a minute. Why are they all rejoicing over this? What about this did they see coming? What the fuck was, oh, really now? Interesting. So then um, from there, I was just like, okay, well, you know what? Hey, guys, it was a joke. Whatever. And I just left it there and, and went from there with it. Next thing I know, I'm hosting shows locally in Chicago. The theater I host my Iran Astrology show burns down. And by this point, I, I moved from L.A. to Chicago to help my family, my brother. Uh, him and my sister had been in a year-long property battle over my mother's house because my mother left the house to my brother when she passed. Me and my brother went and got a land trust. The house was undersigned to me. So if anything happens to him, it's automatically my house. Or if he defaults on the, the, the mortgage in any way, I got to be the person to come out of pocket and be responsible for the house. Meanwhile, while this is going on, I'm in L.A. paying $13.50 for an apartment and my work is slowing up and people are treating me different. And, you know, everybody keeps bringing up that. Well, did they call you back? Did they call you back? Are you on the show? Are you on the show? And I'm like, uh, no. Like, I'm like, I think so. The last they told me, they told me I was good. I had my agent call. My agent said they said I'm good. I don't know what else to tell y'all. And then it, I end up not being on it. So then it was like, okay, well, why would they, I don't get how that happened. Why would they say that? And why wouldn't they just say something sooner? Like, you know, and my agent went in and she kept asking about it and they like, nah, nah. And I'm like, okay. So then I was like, all right, well, that settles that. And I was like, thank you for the opportunity. I sent the DM. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, in my mind, I was done with it. But there was all of this, everybody trying to figure out what was my next move and, and everybody trying to figure out my business and what am I about to do now that was weird. I'm like, why you care? Like, are we going to work on a show? Put me on a show. Let's go on a show. Let's, let's go on a tour. Let's work together. Otherwise, if we're not doing that, why do you care? Why are you so invested? Um, and, of course, oh, you know, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. That's when all that small talk shit got on my nerves. Um, and I started distancing myself from people because I, I saw through the fake shit. Um, and like I said, I, I was back in Chicago. My sister and brother was fighting. They got into a legal battle, lawyer fees, all of that stretching out. My brother ends up in the hospital, um, rushed to emergency room because he had a breakdown because it's just too much financial stress on him. He's working three different jobs. He has his condo. He has my mom's house. He has all these lawyer fees. And I'm in L.A. hearing about my family bickering in an ongoing battle for a year after my mother passed. And my brother ends up in the hospital. And when I talked to my brother, like he just sounded so sad and so sick. Um... And he said something to me that like really broke my heart. He was like, man, if this fall through, like I, I can't take it. Like my heart will be broken if all this fall through. All that work mama did, all this, like my heart will be broken. And, you know, me and my brother had a real cool relationship. 
out of all of my siblings, my brother was the most responsible. My brother, you know, had a good head on his shoulders. My brother always aimed high, you know, thought big. My brother was the one that got me into buying foreign cars. You know, my brother has always been that way. And um, my heart went out to him because my mom was his only parent. My brother's father died years ago. And she divorced my brother's father when she was when he was like one. So he never even met the nigga. And so my mom was really all he had as far as parents. Um, at this point, I hadn't fallen out with my father yet. So, you know, me and my sisters, we still had my dad. Um, but he didn't have anybody. And I just, you know, with everything that was going on in L.A., I was like, this is probably the time I need to be close to family. And, and I'd rather pay cheaper rent and have a condo and be a condo owner than to sit here and just keep throwing away my money on rent. Although I like my apartment and I like where I live, I love the beach, things ain't really flowing the way I need it to flow right now, so this ain't where I need to be right now. And, you know, I talked to my landlord. They ended up working it out with me. I got out. Um, I had, like, two weeks to move. I packed up my whole stuff in two weeks, came, and I was like, well, shit, now I'm a, con- now I'm a condo owner. I was always going to be a homeowner anyway. I'm an undersigned homeowner, but now I'm a homeowner sooner. Cool. Let's get the condo together. And there just became all this money pressure all of a sudden. Like, oh, money, money, money. Get to- we got to get it going. And I'm like, all right, well, let me throw some shows. Started throwing shows, inviting the family out. Everybody got excuses. Nobody want to come. Um, cousin had me do a wedding. Uh, I agreed to do a wedding. I gave her a discounted price. They threw me $50. And I was like, hey, your family, hey, that'll that'll be in lieu of your wedding gift. How about that? You know, like, there you go. I go for much more than that, but fuck it, nigga, your family. Fine. You know, um, shit like that was happening. But then it's like, hey, come support my show. Ah, 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 about that. So... The theater that I end up throwing the comedy show burns down. And I didn't even know it burned down. But now I got people calling me, Arana, are you okay? Are you okay? Uh, yeah. Man, man, they they burnt down. I'm like, what? Really? I had to drive up there and see the place because I didn't believe it. I'm like, fuck, they burned? Like, do they need the insurance money? What's going on? Um, And... From there, a a slew of events happened where all of a sudden I started feeling like me not, me being um, in Chicago wasn't safe. Um, Then I started getting all kind of uh, blast from the past type uh, contacts from, you know, old classmates and people that suddenly wanted to hang and suddenly want to talk about shit. And everybody had... October booked up for whatever reason and mysteriously everybody had to go to court and nobody was giving me information about this particular court date but they all had to go and then I ended up reconnecting with somebody that I was cool with in high school but fell out with over the one and only Dion Cole and she started giving me information um, that let me know that it was a whole bigger thing going on not only that I hadn't talked to her in years, but she was able to recite back to me things that I had sent via um, a direct message on Instagram. In fact, other people were talking to me 
and telling me things that I sent that would be in private messages where I'm like, how do you have access to that? Oh, wait, is my account being hacked? Oh, no, my account is being viewed and, and, and under surveillance. Oh, so my privacy is being violated. Oh, okay. How the fuck did I get in this situation? Who did it? What happened? So all of these things happened, and I pretty much went through this period where I had to fight for my survival because I didn't know who was a part of what, who was doing what. And the one thing that was the common thread, the more I mentioned 50 or the more uh, um, I would try to, you know, you know, make certain things happen, the safer things got for me. Um, Or when I would directly post him, that's when um, all of a sudden police will show up and, and, and all, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Instagram will start messing up. I get locked out of my account. I got locked out of Facebook. Uh, but soon as I like would try to, you know, do something or post something like lovingly, everything would go away. Everything would go away. And he played a role in keeping me safe. Um, I also found out that, um, he won, (laughs) That, that court case that happened. Um, I wasn't there for any of it. I didn't witness any of it, but I found it out. And the more I started speaking on it, the more certain problems started to go away. And that's when I was like, uh, there's more going on behind the scenes. And when I, uh, when I exposed both my ex-manager and Dion directly on my Twitter account, um, back in September, a week later, that's when all the Harvey Weinstein and all of Me Too and everything kicked off in full steam. Um, so money buys uh, silence one way or another. And um, that's what I learned. And people who had more coins than me expected me to go away. Um, but with God and Oh my God, I'm so grateful. Um, I wouldn't be here at all without God. With God seeing me through this whole process and with 50 fighting for me behind the scenes, I um, I, I, I honestly wouldn't be here. I mean, it's, it's like truthful. There's um, him sticking up for me made some people upset. Um, and I, I detailed a lot of it on my social media. Um, but you know, truth be told, there were like, when I left for New York, the, the, the first telltale sign that I was in danger, danger was like weird cars coming to buy the apartment, pulling up, pulling up to my car, checking out my license plates, circling off. Um, that started to happen real heavy, especially after the, the comedy club that I was throwing my show at burned down. I'm talking about weird people that never was around, started coming around, watching me walk into my apartment, watching, like, I had to start coming in the back door because I was like, who are these people? What's going on? Um, and nobody knows nothing. You ask people, they don't know a, a damn thing. It's all, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean? And that's when I was like, okay. <laughs> ah, there's, there's, ah, let me... 
I was like, let me stop talking about it. I don't want nothing to happen to me. What the fuck? Um, and that is what happened. Um, and the more and more I tried to confide in family, um, the more and more I would be betrayed in some way. Um, and the icing on the cake was like when the NYPD came, they beat me up and dragged me away. And they said that my family called and they all knew my sister, Lisa, which she's never been to New York a day in her life before she came to that visit to, to see me. And why the fuck would they know her? Um, everywhere that we went, they already had her number. I didn't even have her new number at the time, but they had her number. Um, when I first got to New York, everybody was trying to give me, what's your service provider? What's your, what, excuse me? What's, no, what cell number do you have? What's your service provider? Uh, people trying to, hey, just want to see, hey, I just want to call. That's when I was like, it, it was so fake and see-through. And like I said, um, well, I'm more comfortable with talking about it and sharing it. I'm an empath and bad energy, like the wrong energy strikes a chord with me immediately. Um, and all of that was, all of that was going on. It was actually a very scary time to be honest. Um, but the more I got vocal about it, the more I went live, the more I posted about it on my social media, the more it went away. The minute I'd pull that phone out and go live and, you know, keep things from being hidden was the minute that, you know, the negative behavior that they were displaying would stop. Um, in fact, that's how I got beat up by NYPD in the first place, because when I first went live at that time, um, I didn't have cell uh, cell service. I was relying on Wi-Fi. And when um, when the the when they were asking me all kind of questions and asking me about my family. When I first went live, they backed the fuck off. Then all of a sudden the signal started weakening and I started leaving. And before I could make it out the door and the signal weakened, they charged for me, they beat the shit out of me and they took my phone. Also, um, the shit that happened to me at Harlem Hospital, the minute I pulled out my phone, they cornered me. They, go, they bought a cop with a motherfucking gun and corner me, put your phone down, put your phone down. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was very aware of the power that I had by going live and being on social media. Um, we in a whole new generation and a whole new era where technology and phones and, and things like that um, make things different. Um, and people can't victimize you the way they like to um, with, you know, cameras and phones and things like that. So um, I'm also very, very grateful for technology. Um, but yeah, man, that was that was the extent of, you know, um, what happened between uh, like Fifth and I and um, for him to like. I talked about the the whole miscarriage situation or whatever, but I had so much going on in my personal life in the background, um, like I said, that I wasn't taking very good care of myself. So I wasn't even really aware um, 
or and I and and that was like pregnancy was like the last thing on my mind. Period. At that particular time, I wasn't trying to be nobody's mom on any under any circumstances, um, and I had never been pregnant before, so I wasn't even really sure. And so I was in a place where, what do I bring it up for? I don't even know. Like, how do you talk to somebody and tell them that you might be? What kind of like what kind of conversation is that? You either are or you ain't. And if you're not, it's no sense in bringing it up. If you are, now you need to have a conversation. And um, I wasn't like like really confirmed in during the times that I was like experiencing certain symptoms and doing certain things. So there wasn't nothing to talk about. Um, and then, you know, um, when I did, like, you know, it just wasn't nothing to talk about. Um, and because there wasn't a, a kid, I just didn't feel the need to bring that up. Like, um, at that point, like, we hadn't talked to each other. We hadn't seen each other. Um, he was busy doing stuff. At that time, there was supposed to be on the table that we would still be working together. So I was just on some, hey, you know, you know, if they pick up the show, we'll discuss it then um, or whatever. We'll, you know, I was on some down the line when I see them, we could have that talk. But that that didn't feel like the appropriate talk to have at the time, especially since there ended up being no kid. Um, so um, but I shared that part of myself and I was very vulnerable uh, with a, a chick that was my best friend. And that was one of the last important things I ever shared with her in regards to that, because from the jump, I noticed anytime I had anything that happened with him, she never was excited for me ever. Like I remember when I told her about the first kiss, I was so excited. I was geeked. I was, I was happy. Like she shut it down so fast and like, you know, um, she had an unfortunate situation when her brothers got, well, her one of her brothers got shot up, and she dragged that situation out for everything it was worth. But the minute I told her that my brother was in emergency and I was worried about him and he might have had food poison, not food poisoning, but he might have been poisoned, like poison, poison, because him and my sister were going at it so so long over that house. And like I said, they were in an intense legal battle. And they, you know, she, my sister started playing real dirty. And, you know, I was trying to tell her about it. And she, well, is he fine now? Ah, okay. And I was like, bitch, what? Girl, I was holding hands and crying with you when it was your brother. But it's my brother and nothing. You know, any, any good news I had, she just would poo-poo it. And it was like, I don't want to share this with you no more. And that ended up being one of the last things I shared with her. And even the energy behind that was kind of a, everything always works out for you type of, that wasn't the shit I wanted to hear. That wasn't the shit I wanted to hear at all. Because truth be told, if there was a kid, either way I would have been in a decent situation. I wouldn't have to worry about it. And, you know, uh, she knew how badly I wanted a girl and she knew how, um, oh, and let me go back into the story because this is important. My best friend introduced me to my ex-husband. My ex-husband was the blood cousin of her husband. So um, they were like kind of solely responsible for how I met my husband. And when things were happening and going pretty decent in my marriage, she wasn't happy about that shit neither. She didn't even show up to my wedding. 
Um, and she introduced me to the motherfucker. Hey, man, what kind of shit is that? Like, she had an excuse. She didn't feel like it. She didn't feel cute that day or whatever the fuck. Uh, her husband came, but she ain't come. Um, then when the marriage fell apart, uh, my ex-husband, you know, he felt the way about it and took the victim route when he admitted that he regret marrying me. <laughs> who wants to stay married to somebody who does that? And I was, I mean, and I was a cool wife. I was a cool ex-wife. Like, I didn't want shit to divorce. He had some property in Florida. I ain't want that shit. No, like, we let's leave with what well, you came in this relationship with a gym bag. Motherfucker, let's leave like that. In fact, here, take the wedding gifts. Nigga, take the bed. I'm going back to Cali anyway. If it can't fit in my station wagon, I can't use it. I'm going to take all this shit and take it to Goodwill. You keep all this shit. Like, you keep everything. You know, like, I could have really been on some goofy, savage, pointless, petty shit, but it wasn't worth it. It didn't work out, and I was grateful that I didn't waste unnecessary time with somebody that wasn't the one. Um, and I prayed very hard about my divorce because I wanted to make sure that it was the right decision. And I remember I was in church one day, and God showed me a vision of my daughter. So, I mean, I knew and and I still know at some point she's coming. I just don't know who her father is. <laughs> like that's the part we have to figure out. <laughs> she he's out there somewhere. She's coming sometime down the line. But um, you know, God showed it to me and God always keeps his promises. So um and she knew that. And so there was just like this whole thing of, yo, I mean, if it is a baby, it'll be due July 9th, and that'll be kind of weird. Like, damn, that's like really, that's crazy. Um, I was like, that's cancer season. That's crazy. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, my daughter was born July 7th. And, da, 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 and, da, da, da. and it was just, it wasn't a supportive friend conversation. It, it really wasn't. Um, and that was like the last bit of like personal information I told her regarding that. And I, to this day, I hate it. I hate that I said anything. I hate that I told her. Um, because like I said, while I was in New York and while I was getting trolled by different accounts, a few of the accounts hit me with that. And I was like, what? Like, like literally hit me. Weren't you out here trying to get pregnant? Whoa, whoa. Who the fuck? What? Who the fuck said that? You know? So it'd be your own niggas. I'll tell you that. Um, fortunately... There's a silver lining. It's a happy ending. It doesn't end all bad. Um, through this process, there have been a number of people, a number of people, too many to name, who have, you know, they sympathized, empathized uh, with me and saw the exact vision of who I am and, and what I'm here to accomplish and what I'm trying to do and have had my back since day one and you know, seriously, when people are good people and when people are successful people, they focus on success. They don't focus on bullshit. They don't focus on negativity. They don't focus on petty shit. All they do is really try to help you win because that's what's going to make you happy, you know? And sometimes it's tough love. Like sometimes it's, yo, fuck that. Get on your grind. Fuck that shit. And it's like, yo, but I'm hurting. Fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> Sometimes it's harsh, but it is love at the end of the day because 
They don't want to see you hurting. They don't want to see you down and out. They don't want to see you in a fucked up situation. And they know that if you get out there and go get it, you know, things will improve, you know, dramatically. And so I'm very, very, very grateful that I had, man, a number of people, just people to send a kind word and people that hit me up in the background, everybody who donated, everybody who, um, who saw what it was and was like, man, fuck that. I do what I want to do with my money around the good people. Fuck that. Like, no, y'all, y'all on some bullshit. Something ain't right. I've been watching this whole thing and something ain't right. And I believe her. Fuck that. I am so grateful for all of you. Um, I'm grateful for, uh, everybody. And I don't even know, uh, specifically what the future holds immediately, but I do know that I will be continuing this podcast. Um, I was the one that put in the majority of the work in any way and in the functioning of it and the production of it and making sure that it got out. Um, I did receive some vocal help from uh, Jay Alexander on the beatbox. Thank you for the beatbox and the beatbox love. Um, you know, I'll credit you for that, you know, once if I use them on actual anything, but, um, he was already credited on, uh, all the episodes that he was on and, um, I'm going to continue with the astrology. Uh, it's back being fun to me now. And so I, I look forward to making those videos on Wednesday. And so y'all can expect more of that from me. Um, stand up ain't never went nowhere. And that's how I know I was around ungenuine people. When people came up to me and were like, are you, are you cool to do stand up? You know, are, are you ready to get, it's like, dude, I never had a problem with stand up. Stand up was never my issue. What you mean? Stand up is in you. When you, when you are a true comedian, it's a part of you. George Carlin did stand up till he died, yo. Um, it's in you. So, um, I never, I never, it was never about me being away from stand-up. It was about me being away from the toxic people who I knew were a part of the problem. Um, and um, regardless of the various roles I played, like when something is toxic, it's toxic, you know. Um, so I just didn't want no part in that. But more stand-up is coming. Um, I'm definitely going to write about this more. Um, at some point a book is coming. I, I gotta really, uh, get myself into a quiet centered place to make that happen. Um, so this podcast is the closest thing y'all gonna get to it for now. Um, but it's definitely coming. I even got a title for it. Um, and I would like to, like, I'm gonna put some effort into dropping a legit album. Also, um, I hate putting time limits on things because, you know, um, I'm especially enjoying just being able to, to pop out with stuff like for now, at least that's the headspace I'm in for that. But I really appreciate everybody that took the time to check out this episode. This one was a little long, um, it included a lot of stories, a lot of timelines, a lot of everything. And um, I tried to include everything I could think of to make it as thorough as possible. Um, 
and I tried to be as open and honest with it as I could. Um, I'm saying um a lot right now, too. I'm very cognizant of that. But regardless of everything, special shout out to 50. I really, I really wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for him. And um, there's a lot of things that I like hope and wish for the future. Um, if you would like to know what those things are, then you can check that out on my Instagram page because I, po- I do definitely post about it. But regardless of everything, just like I was grateful for that opportunity, I'm grateful that I'm grateful that he he saw something special in me and really motivated me to pull pull that out of me. Um, I'm I'm super grateful that I'm grateful that he showed love and I'm grateful that um, he had compassion and loyalty for me and I just want to make sure that. I return that favor. I want to make sure that I return that compassion and loyalty 100% as well Um, because he truly is deserving of it. He's a man after my own heart. Um, On that note, I'm going to tie this podcast up. Um, Me exposing um, the ex-manager and stuff, and I still got stuff on my page where uh, I wrote about it, Um, the treatment that I uh, sent my manager while he was still my manager that ended up being the exact format of 50 show. (laughs) Like, they ended up, I gave that to Dwight, and Dwight um, emailed it and everything. And, you know, him and his connections, the next thing you know, things get remixed, remastered, and, you know, they just slap something different on it. All of that happened. Um, so it's so interesting. The things people say about you when they when they think you're down and out. And it's interesting the things that uh, people will allow to happen if they don't stand up for themselves, myself included. A whole lot happened to me um, when I thought I was being mature, turning the other cheek. Um, this experience showed me more than anything. No, you violate something, holla. If somebody violates something, holla. Just like they teach the kids. Uh-uh, somebody touch you. No! Like, you just, you got to speak up. Um, and you got to be responsible for your own happiness and peace of mind. That's that's some of the lessons that I learned here, but very big lessons and I just, I think those are good. I want to, I want to leave it right there. Um, next week I'll go in on the double XL list. I'll go in on, uh, Cuddy and Yay. I'll go in on Nas album. Uh, but today, today was the heartfelt get to know the host podcast. So, you know, if anybody, uh, identifies with anything that I'm speaking on or whatever, or you're going through something similar, I just want to tell you, keep your head up. I want to tell you, you know, rain can't last forever. You know, um, we never understand where God has taken us and exactly what he's doing in the moment of the transition. We can only know that it's coming and whatever's coming is going to be better than what's been. Even as I recounted several things 
um, that happened to me in the duration of this, you know, story, um, I was able to connect the dots to things that happened pre that, pre that, pre that. And then when you look at it, you see how it's all interconnected. So, you know, that feels like a good ending point right there. I'm going to drop the mic right there. Moment of greatness with Ronald Lopez. Everybody's awesome, including you. I love you. Follow me on uh, Instagram at Lopez 100 Follow the podcast at hip-hop underscore raised us on IG. I love y'all. Thank y'all for y'all time and energy. Uh, check y'all next week. All right. Peace.